If you would, take your bulletin and turn to the front, and there you will find our scripture passage for the day. Please stand with me in honor and reverence for the reading of the Word of God. And I'm going to ask that you would um, read this verse, Isaiah 12, 6, along with me. So let us now read God's Word together. Shout and sing for joy, city of Zion, because the Holy One of Israel is great among you. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you take this verse, God, and use it in our hearts uh, to make us the joyful people of God that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. This week, we fo- in the Advent uh, process, we focus on joy. Joy. Such a short little word with yet such a big, full, enormous meaning. In this passage, in this verse, we hear about joy. And it's all about the joy of the coming Messiah. If you were to take your Bible and go back to uh, Isaiah chapter 11, you would see that the prophet Isaiah has been talking about this coming one. And in chapter 11, he talks about that stump of Jesse. That is from the house, the lineage of Jesse, from whom came King David and then King Solomon in the royal line. And, And the stump described the terrible things the nation of Israel had gone through. They had been exiled. They had been reduced to a shell of their former selves. But the prophet Isaiah said, don't give up hope. Even though now you're living in the midst of a terrible time, you can look ahead and you could know that there is joy to come. And he describes in that chapter the Messiah who will come. And then in, verse, in chapter 12, it's a, it's a short chapter, only about six verses But it's all about the joy that will come because of the Messiah. And so we see this prediction of joy. Before the Messiah ever came, hundreds of years before, Isaiah said, it's coming. God has declared it. It will happen. And there will be a great joy. And not only is there this prediction of joy, but it talks about the proclamation of joy. Isaiah talks about the fact that this joy is going to be so great that people won't be able to keep it to themselves. He says, sing and shout out, or some translations say, cry out. The idea is there's some news that's so good that it cannot be helped but shared. You know, often we see that in scriptures. Jesus will heal someone and he'll say, you know, hey, right now, keep this on the download. Don't tell anybody about this right now because it's hard for me to get around even as it is. And yet people couldn't contain themselves. They had to go out and tell others about what Christ had done. And Isaiah tells us when you really grasp the Messiah's coming, when you really understand what Jesus' birth here on this earth is really all about, you won't be able to contain it. You're going to express it. Some of you have great voices and you can sing it out. Others of us, we can't hold a pitch, right? But we can say, yeah. You know, we can get excited. We can shout for joy. And however you express it, this joy that comes from knowing that God sent his son Jesus 
it is to be in our lives an expressed joy, not just one we internalize and hide and keep to ourselves, but it's something we let out. So what's this, this joy all about? It's all about Jesus. It's all about what God has done through his son. And let's talk about this God that we see in this passage. We see uh, three things about God here. First of all, that it is a very particular and personal God that we are celebrating. You know, we're told, tis the season to be jolly, right? We sing joy to the world. But often we forget what that joy is really all about. Our joy um, is, is something more than just a season or a day. We forget. We get excited about holidays, but we, re, we forget that they were uh, called originally holy days, that we're celebrating something that God has done. It's not just any God, but what does your bulletin say? The Holy One of Israel. The idea is we don't get excited, excited about some vague idea of spirituality that there's something out there, there's some spirit or something. We certainly don't get excited about a God who's made of wood or stone, an idol. We are filled with joy because of a particular God, the God, the Holy One of Israel, known to us uh, through his word as Jehovah or Yahweh, depending on the way you translate it. But this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is a particular God. He is the one that we get excited about. We see also that he's a powerful God. What do you teach your, your children um, when you start, and they're very young, two or three, and you start teaching them their, their prayers? Um, we, we have kind of a couple of favorites, right, that, that we fall into, and then maybe we'll teach them to speak their own words as well. But one of them we say is, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Well, we say that, but we often don't teach our children what those words mean, and perhaps we don't even think about what it means. But those words are important. When we say God is good, we don't just mean he's the bare minimum level of positivity, like he's good, but there's better and then there's best. We don't mean that God is just down here when we say he's good. When we say God is good, we are teaching our children that he is completely morally pure, that there is no hint of darkness or sin within him. Everything that is good and right and pure, that is what God is. And so when we say God is good, that's what we mean. What about God is great? When we, we you know, in everyday language, we use a lot of, uh, we call a lot of things great. Look at my great new car. I've got a great job. I go to a great church. You know, we use great over and over again, and, and it means a lot of things. It can be nice or cool or friendly or expensive. I mean, we can use great to mean all sorts of things. But when we say God is great, as this verse does, what we mean is bigger than all those things. We mean that God is all-encompassing. His power 
and his holiness and his majesty, that God is great in a way that none of us can comprehend or understand. He is above and beyond humanity. So this God that this joy is all about, it's a very particular God that's personal. We know him from the God, as the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who way back in the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve said, I'm sending someone who will crush the serpent, and that someone would be the Messiah. And we know he is a powerful God. You know, it'd be great to know that he's a personal God, that we can relate to him, and yet if he was not powerful enough, he'd be simply another friend who can sympathize with us and yet could not do anything about our condition, the condition all of us as mankind find ourselves in uh, of sin and sorrow as our failures add up at times in life. But we serve a great God who can do something about our problems, about our issues. Saying God is great reminds us of his power. It reminds us that he's the almighty, that he's the creator who formed the worlds with his words. That's what a great God he is. And then finally, we see that God is a present God. This joy that we have, knowing that not only do we have a personal God and a powerful God, but we have a present God. You know, it would be awe-inspiring. It would be interesting to know that if there was a God who was simply out there, who was all-powerful and who was knowable, but yet if we could not connect with him, he would simply be something to know about. He would just be a, a, an entity that we were aware of, but really had no interaction with. And that's what deism says. God's out there. Uh, he, he wound up the universe. He set it going, and then he stepped back and just let everything happen however it happened. But the God of the Bible is a God who is present, who works through both providence and through miracles in our lives to touch our lives. This verse, this translation we read said, the Holy One of Israel is great among you. Some, of the, some translations say he's great in your midst. In other words, he's right there. He is not distant. He is not far from us. But he is close. In another part of Isaiah, the prophet called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The apostle John put it this way. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God is here. And not only is he here in church with us as we're gathered together, but he is with us when we are scattered into the world. When we are with family, when we are with friends, when we are at work, and even though, even when we are alone, whether actually literally alone and no one else around us, or when we feel alone, perhaps surrounded by many other people, and yet we have this sense inside of us that no one gets us or understands us or really knows us and what's going on with our lives, God does. He is with us. And because 
we have a God who is present, who is powerful and personal. Because we have that type of God, a God who sent his only son to be born of a virgin, to leave the greatness, the glory, and the splendor of heaven, and to come down to descend into the mire and the muck of this world we live in. Because we have that type of God, we can rejoice. We might say, well, this is great for the people of Israel. He's the Holy One of Israel. We're, we're glad for those folks. But what about us? Thousands of years later, halfway around the world, is it still good news today for us? And that's where the angels in Luke chapter 2 come in. As they see those fearful shepherds who themselves are wondering, is this event, is it really good or is it something I should be terrified about? The angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And all means all. So, so ever, whoever you are today, whether you're a, a visitor or a regular or a member or not, whether you're young or old, male or female, rich or poor, wherever you are in life, whoever you are, it is good news, the news of the gospel of God sending his only begotten son for you. And that news of this God who is powerful and personal and most of all present in your everyday life, that news is what gives us joy. And that joy is for all people who are willing to call upon his name. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we stand in awe and wonder of what you've done. You never had to create us in the beginning. You had all the countless angels to worship and adore you. You had perfect fellowship within your being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You did not need us in any way. And yet out of the overflow of love in your heart, you created us for relationship. And greater still, even though we broke those, that relationship with you through sin, God, you made a way at the greatest possible cost to yourself. You made a way that that relationship could be restored. You did not shut us out. You did not give us the silent treatment. Rather, you sent your son Jesus so that we might always know that you are with us, that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us because you are Emmanuel, God with us. Now, Lord, as we come to this time of commitment, God, I know that you are inviting each of us to do business with you to respond to you, to your calling, to your voice, to your leading. 
Help us to respond, to follow you in obedience and faith, whatever you're calling us to do. In Christ. Respond as the Lord has uh, led you in this time. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you, or you simply need to kneel at the altar, or perhaps you have a public decision to make. I'd be glad to receive you. Whatever it is, uh, would you stand as we sing?